Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, Mistresses America, and all the ships at sea. This is your host, Bob Nessoff, at Travel Talk and Theater Radio. Our guest this evening is a very, very fine comedian named Robert Bob Dubach. Uh, we saw him in a show in uh, Soho in uh, Lower Manhattan in the village the other night, and uh, his reverence is okay. He doesn't offend too many people. Two Muslim young ladies <laughs> in the audience seemed to be put off a bit for a while, but then they applauded when the show was over. So we figured everything was okay. There were no bombers there. There were no police waiting outside for him, and uh, he's going on. Good evening, Bob. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. And that's the first I've heard of that. I didn't realize that. Uh... <laughs> well, <laughs> you, able to, yeah, we, have to, be, we have to be observant. Yeah. You got eyes in the back of your head. You can sit there and watch me and watch what's going on behind you, too. They were on the other side of the theater. Let me ask you this, Bob. Ah, gotcha. Were you always, or sure. Robert, you, were you always interested in doing stand-up? Well, not really. You know, I mean, when I started, I started as an actor, and then um, I was on a soap opera here in New York for a while. Um, I'd done quite a few, you know, sitcoms and, and uh, film uh, endeavors. But uh, oh, well, I tell always us about some did... of those credits. What were they? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, so I've been doing this kind of show, and this I've kind of combined the, the comedy and the acting and the writing all together, which is what you saw. This is like the second or third of these shows that I do, and I've been doing them for, oh, probably since the uh, – uh, late 80s, early 90s. Um, but uh, before that, when I was doing television, uh, let's see, the soap operas that I was on was a soap opera called Loving and All My Children. Uh, and then after that, uh, there were sitcoms like Different Strokes, Growing Pains, um, quite a few, you know, kind of independent films and some other major films. Um, but, you know, as you know in this business, there's really only room for very few of those uh, recognizable star-studded actors, and the rest of us end up being, you know, kind of uh, character, character uh, fodder. Okay. Um, and I kind of decided uh, early on when I was doing, you know, I, at the time when I was still earlier in the career, I would go out and do, um, uh, if I was in between any kind of film or intelligence show, I would go out and do stand-up comedy. But I started performing... Um, comedy in front of rock and roll bands back in the 70s so i was the guy who came out the opening act that came out and uh you know kind of back then in the rock and roll days you, they couldn't afford to have two bands they could only afford the main headliner so they just <laughs> needed somebody to ride around in the bus with them and uh you know do 15 to 30 minutes in front of them just to get everybody uh you know kind of paying attention which in the early days of rock and roll it was fairly easy because as you recall you know, in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, we, uh, there was no alternative. I mean, you had three networks on television. They both signed off at midnight. You had uh, very few kind of shows to go out and see. And when rock and roll hit, then all these little clubs started opening up and all these little venues. And actually, it was preceded by the folk uh, uh, music you know, uh, that's, that uh, hit all the coffee, coffee houses and spread across the country doing that and then branched out into, into music, but uh, rock and roll music. Uh, so there was always, uh, there were always these heat nannies. Always, you know, they always needed an opening act of some sort. So I kind right. of uh, you know, I, got my teeth. I, I should note at this time that uh, Robert is starring in, uh, in a show called The Book of Moron, directed by Gary Shandling. Uh, has yeah. nothing whatever to do with the Book of Mormon. Uh, I'm surprised that... Uh, they haven't brought the uh, lightning of the wrath of God down on you. 
But I have, well, I have a question. I, mis- I misspell it. I'm, I'm not saying <laughs> the Book of Mormon is the one that they, they should be getting the wrath of God, if you believe in it. Well, we thought they would. Yeah. How, now, how long have you been doing these particular shows? Well, I started, so I was doing, I was kind of bouncing back and forth between acting and writing. I was also writing for sitcoms. I was writing for um, uh, films. And uh, I was and I was doing stand-up. And I figured it was kind of after doing the, the, the soap operas that I realized I should just do all three of them together. And instead of waiting for somebody to hire me, I could just hire myself and be my own little cottage industry. So I really started with the first show around the late 80s, early 90s. It was called, and it's still being done in certain parts of the world, it's called The Male Intellect, an Oxymoron. Uh, and it's... Uh, <laughs> It's uh, as you um, and as your listeners are, are listening, the kind of show that I do is kind of a combination of Mark Twain and Lily Tomlin with the little irreverent uh, Lenny Bruce thrown in. So it's uh, it's very contemporary, but I portray a bunch of different characters. So there are things, you know, when you do get into uh, topics that you may may offend people, it's always coming out of the mouth of a different character. So it's never coming out of me. Uh, I play the main character in all these shows, but uh, the other ones are the ones that have some of the great lines. <laughs> well, in, in Book of Moron, you're playing eight different characters. How do you keep well, track really, of the voices really and six. the personalities? Really only, uh, well, that's kind of, you know, it, that's just repetition. And now you're going back to, um, you know, my training as an actor. I mean, I studied with Sandy Meisner. Uh, there's a technique called the Meisner technique. Um, of course, Sandy passed away years and years ago. But uh, also, then you know, with Gary, Gary Shanling was also a Meisner student, although not with Gary, but from another very uh, well-known uh, uh, teacher by the name of Roy London. So he and I had the same uh, approach towards comedy. Now, obviously, Gary's <laughs> was much more successful than I was, but he's such a was such a generous guy that he was always able to help people especially those of us who had that same point of view where if something's going to be funny it's got to come from some sort of truth you can't just do shtick up there or you know drop uh, foul language or just go resort to the to yeah. the common uh, denominator so Merle and uh, Eddie Murphy uh yeah well you know they have that stuff has its time and ha- but you know Comedy is strange. It evolves kind of like uh, any other art form, but recently I've known that it's kind of... Comedy evolves or de-evolves along with the uh, intelligence of the nation or the culture. So you look back when it first started, which was during Mark Twain's era, and he, you know, was one of the primary people who kind of got this whole thing going with you stand up and do a lecture, but it's fun and it's tongue-in-cheek. But that's back when the... United States had a vocabulary. You know, you, if you were to really, you know, reenact some of Twain's stuff, which Hal Holbrook used to do, you know, all the time, and there are other people that do do a Mark Twain type of performance, a lot of people don't even understand the verbiage. They, have, they don't have a grasp of the language. I mean, we can go into, down the rabbit hole as to why that's happened, but uh, it's, um, comedy always reflects the intelligence or ignorance of uh, the country. So um, that has an effect on how certain uh, parts of the show are uh, taken to in certain parts of the country. You know, I mean, this well, you show, think the, that the Book of Moron is really about 
is really about the stupidity and, you know, making poking fun at how dumb we can be. And um, I think it's done well enough. I mean, the first show was called The Mayo Lynn Lake. That was all about relationships. This show is kind of, it's politically charged, but it's mostly about, you know, individual uh, skew of how we perceive things. And then I think the next show that I'm doing is, is it all about religion. So I think we, and if you look at Mark Twain's arc, he and many comedians did the same thing. You know, you start out younger trying to figure out all the relationships between you and your wife or, you know, men and women. And then later you start skewing politics. And then finally you start figuring out, well, why did we swallow all this um, religious hocus pocus? So um, I think that's kind of the, the, the path that I've been taking too. Do you think over the last 20 or 30 years we've kind of lost our national sense of humor, that things that were funny back then just fall like a lead bomb right now? Well, I, you know, the, the permission to – we had – if you – I'm not sure if we lost our sense of humor. Um, we certainly lost some of that um, very negative adolescent kind of humor. Um, you know, there's one thing about making jokes at people instead of making jokes with, you know, it's a, instead of making fun of somebody, you make fun with them. Um, but I, you know, and, and that, it's all generational too. I mean, it just depends how people change. Some people do not want to change and they still want to tell, you know, Polak jokes and, you know, and racist jokes. And it's, uh, I think you can still make a point, but it has to be done clever and has to be done with a vocabulary and regrettably you don't have a whole lot of people that are uh, that skilled at, at that anymore so then that's why it appears as though we've lost our sense of humor yeah, I just don't think people yeah. verbalize it properly okay well let me ask you how do, how do you get your inspiration for the characters and, and the, uh, the comedy that you come up with well I, you know it's always been fairly smart the kind of stuff that I that I do and uh, it's um, which is a um, kiss of death <laughs> because, you know, you look at how broad people comedy has been at certain eras from the vaudeville to all the way to present day. You know, some of the, the very simple stuff is what's acceptable. Plus, you have television where you, you don't have any. Ironically, you have a, a two-dimensional two, two world on television, so there is no depth. Um, so you really, it's, it's difficult to, to perform anything with depth on television, you know, it has to be done through emotions. And, uh, but on stage, when you have control of folks, it's, like I was saying earlier, I, you know, you get into different facets of, uh, and stages of your life. And for me now, it's really kind of saying, well, let me expose my version of the truth, or at least what I think we've been, not that my truth is, is correct, but I think what we've been uh, buffaloed with and kind of BSed about um, and some people take offense to that because they find a very a lot of security in old tropes and old traditions, even though they're false. So you have to kind of sidestep and uh, kind of walk on eggshells when you're doing it. So that's why I have all these different characters, because I have a character that can get away with saying something. You know, as you notice in the Book of Moron, there's a character who um, is not afraid to say anything, and he's very brusque and very, you know, uh, vocal. And... He he's that part of us that wants to say something but keeps their, his mouth shut. Well, this guy doesn't. He he says whatever he wants. So if he says a blonde joke or he does 
where he makes jokes about a Republican or a Democrat. I mean, he's the guy who does that uh, because we all have these little voices in us. Um, well, like you kind of skewered both sides of the aisle, not gently, oh, yeah, not course, terribly. Yeah, you're not a Jimmy Kimmel who comes out with vicious comments. <laughs> well, yes, I mean that's you. You have a pulpit, and if you get it, that's what you can. You know, you you look. Nowadays, you, there is. I think this may go back to answer your question about losing our cultural sense of humor. We we may have lost an overall general skew on things because the population now is no longer anywhere near the size it was when you and I were in our, uh, you know, back in the 60s uh, when we were younger. There was half the amount of people in this country that are now, and you just, you can't help but to have different facets and different types of um, uh, reactions to things because you have so many human beings on the planet. So. Yeah. But I do try to make it, you know, so that it kind of goes across the aisle back and forth. I mean, my, my right, whole ask is just to, just to make, make everybody mad. <laughs> All right. Let me ask you this. We have, I have time for one more question before the oh, yeah. producer is waving at me to go for a commercial. The Book of okay. Moron is 80 mm-hmm. minutes long. If, uh, mm-hmm. I, I've given speeches and talks before groups. If I don't have notes in front of me, I sound like a babbling idiot. I go off track and I forget where I am. Yeah. How in heaven's name do you remember 80 minutes worth of dialogue? Well, listen, it's, it isn't easy because it's the memorization of it. Obviously, the writing, it helps that I wrote it, so I know what I'm supposed to be saying. But the memorization of it is what takes a lot of time. I mean, it's, I don't just write this and go out and do it. I mean, you have to write and hone down five minutes and make sure that's correct, and you had to tack on another five minutes, and then you have to change that ten minutes to something else. And So it goes on and on. It takes me a good year, year and a half, to really memorize an hour, an hour and a half worth of material. Because it has to be performed. Yeah, it isn't like stand-up where you just kind of, you're all, you got a bunch of little bits and you just throw them out whenever you want and how you want. Yep. People don't realize it, but Broadway shows, the actors come out, they have cue screens uh, on the front of the balcony, and at the edge mm-hmm. of the the stage where the audience cannot see it, but it's got the lines coming across, so they don't have to memorize. They they know what they're mm-hmm. saying, but this way they don't get lost. I sat there amazed listening to you. I wish I, wish I had that. <laughs> yeah, but I'm well, telling you, I sat there. I, I mean, sat there listening to you, and I I couldn't figure out how in heaven's name you were able to just. Yeah. You didn't take a breath. You just kept going. Yeah. Well, thanks. I mean, it, it's it's a discipline. You have to learn it. Um, you know, I would love to do a play. I mean, I'm basically doing, you know, six different characters. So I'm doing six different actors on stage. I'd love to do a show where I'm only one actor of 20, and I've got only 15 minutes worth of dialogue out of two hours. <laughs> but oh. it's, then I have to, you know, I'm, then I can't work for myself. Get a new agent. All right, we're going to have yeah. to take a break for a moment now so we can earn sure. some money over here. While we do our commercials, uh, this is Bob Nessoff at uh, Travel Talk. And Theater Radio, and we will be back in about a minute and a half. Bud Light presents Real Men of Genius. Real Men of Genius. Today we salute you, Mr. Giant Taco Salad Inventor. Mr. Giant Taco Salad Inventor. Ground beef, refried beans, guacamole, cheese, sour cream, and if there's any room left, a few shreds of lettuce. I don't see no lettuce. 
A culinary creation that baffles the human mind. A 12,000 calorie salad. Some may ask, is your taco salad healthy? Of course it is. It's a salad, isn't it? You can eat that deep-fried country So crack open a nice, cold, bud-like conquistador of the calorie. You put the feast in Fiesta. Mr. Giant Taco Salad What do we got? Captain, there's no sign of them anywhere. Dogs aren't picking up anything. I'll flush them out. Red Robin! Yum! Answer the call at Red Robin with an Oktoberfest burger. Fire grilled and topped with black forest ham. Melted Swiss and beer mustard onions on a pretzel bun. Served with bottomless steak fries. Red Robin! Yum! Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Travel Talk Radio and Theater. Uh, this is your host, Bob Nessoff, and our guest this evening is Robert Duback, who's got a phenomenal show in Off-Broadway uh, at the Soho Playhouse called The Book of Mormon. Moron. Oh, gosh, Bob, I almost said Mormon. Uh, <laughs> you did, but you caught yourself. Good. <laughs> yes, the Book okay. of Mormon. Okay. We've got, I think, about six performances left because uh, we finish on the 26th of September. So uh, if people want, are in the area and want to come to the show, uh, you can get tickets on my website or at the SohoPlayhouse.com or my website, which is RobertDubeck.com. Um, or at DubeckTheBookOfMoron.com. Yes. Okay, the show is running until when, and what nights is it on? September 26th, Friday night at 9 and Sunday matinees at 3. Okay, uh, twice weekly. Okay. Yes. Now, let me ask you this. Gary Shandling, you mentioned him before, and he's on the cover of the uh, uh, the, this, yeah. the, the book. What input mm-hmm. did Gary have uh, in putting together your show? Well, as I was saying earlier, and, you know, especially in Gary's, um, you know, third act of his life after his television shows, he was very instrumental in helping people, more famous people than me, you know, he was, he had helped uh, Judd Apatow and, uh, you know, Sarah Bash Cohen um, and uh, Sarah Silverman, you know, people that are, like I said, a lot more uh, well-known than I am. Uh, But he was always had an open ear to take something and do an overview of it and was just brilliant at spotting the things that you missed or spotting the things that need to be extrapolated. And then once he and I started working on my script, um, we, we, he and I were very close, to, uh, had a very close friendship as well. So it always ended up going towards let's uh, try to work the show to, out and get it uh, while we're hanging out, just uh, getting it so that it works and getting the writing down and the direction. So, I mean, he spent lots of, you know, usually once or twice a day at his house. And, you know, he had this nice big sprawling place up in uh, the hills in Pacific Palisades and, it was kind of an open-door policy for a lot of uh, his friends and celebrities that would come in. They would have basketball games on, on Sundays. And, uh, but we'd be in the living room just rehearsing things, go to the kitchen, grab something to eat, come back out. Uh, so it was, it's kind of that old-fashioned uh, creative uh, melting pot that you don't find much anymore. But uh, it, was, uh, it was very creative, very helpful. So, I mean, I, his stamp is all over the place. So, I mean, well, it's good to hear because some of these celebrities 
forget where they came from. They forgot who they were with, and they think everything. Uh, they think they're Saturn with the rings running around it. Well, that's true. I mean, there's a lot of solipsism in this business, um, and uh, I can, you know, state without any uh, hesitation that none of that was in Gary's personality. I mean, he was. Now, if he didn't have the chops, if he didn't have the dedication, he wouldn't. You know, he wasn't going to waste his time. But then again, none of us should have that, uh, you know, uh, patience. Mm-hmm. Now, some of your material is, I, I would say, slightly irreverent. You know, you never come out really with anything negative about about any individual group or, or what have you. But do you ever get a kickback from some of the audiences or some people for some of the material that you put in there? Well, yes and no. I mean, you know, it's there's, you know, we're in we're in this politically correct. Uh, am I woke? Am I uh, tone deaf? You know, am I? Can I say this? Can I not say that? The only difference with somebody being woke and not woke is somebody saying it out loud as opposed to thinking it. You know, so it's your the whole show and the the the, the idea of getting on stage and not on television and something that you're sharing with you know. 100 people in the dark, is that you're able to get inside their heads and, you know, if they're going to be uncomfortable, then you're doing your job. I mean, there's nothing in the show that's, there's nothing so risque that it's that kind of, uh, you know, the sexual uh, uh, pornographic kind of um, language. I mean, that belongs in a comedy club you know, or belongs with a younger audience. Uh, but I found with this, it's, it's across the board, uh, you know, whether you're, you know, a teenager or you're an adult, uh, your ideas are challenged. And that's the only thing people get afraid of. They, they like, oh, their ideas would be the only ideas. And when you say, hey, look, we're all inside a box sometimes and uh, we're inside our own little bubble and uh, that's not the way the world is. I mean, the whole metaphor of the show is you, you turn a mirror on the entire audience at the end so that we can see ourselves, because, you know, we do need the mirror held up to us every once in a while. Yes, you can turn the mirror, but I don't think everybody necessarily sees themselves. They may see others in the mirror, but uh, they're they're uh, vampires. They don't throw a shadow. They don't see themselves in the mirror. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll burn a cross the next time I do that, you know, the stake, <laughs> stake in their heart. So. Uh, All right. Many, many off-Broadway uh, off, off theaters are, are half-empty. I've been to some, some shows yeah. where uh, the parents of the, the uh, monologist and myself are almost yeah, the entire audience. Your right. show was packed the other night. How, how are you um, bringing them in doing, like that? How are you getting the word out? It's doing, well, I think it's, I've always had the ability to do these shows that are word of mouth because, you number one, it, it, New York City is so expensive. I can't afford to pay, pay for advertising. So it's just the first couple of weeks you kind of give it away so that people come, and then they tell their friends, and then it snowballs. But, you know, to be honest, it is because of when I first planned on doing this, it was before the Delta variant kind of reared its ugly head. And I thought I'd be able to slide in. Everything would be opened up. Um, but we're not, and nothing in New York is doing as well as expected because of that and because of, you know, this pushback from a lot of uh, Americans, although you don't have it in, in New York City as much, who don't want to get a vaccination and still want to be yeah. treated like, they, like they're as important as everybody else. And 
you know, it's so uh, I, you know, regrettably haven't been able to get reviewed by the major papers because they flat out said, hey, we're, we don't want to go out because we're afraid we're going to get sick. So uh, it, uh, it kind of threw a wrench in the works, but I appreciate you saying, you know, it was, it was full. It was really only about three quarters full, but still, it appeared like it, so it was full. Well, we've got internal. But we're, and we're only doing two. To, we're only doing. <laughs> yeah, we're only doing two to three shows a night, a week too. We're not doing, you know, a seven-show week. So that's that helps. You know, people who want is there another show in theater uh, the same day as yours, but earlier? Because your show goes on at uh, nine o'clock. Yeah, it starts at seven, and uh, it's uh, you know my show is not is no music, no drama, no dance. It's all comedy, and like you said, you last you know nonstop. Whereas now the show before me, if you're looking for something different, it's comedy, but it's musical comedy. So it's uh, actually the the, uh, the name of the um, of the performer's name is A.J. Holmes, and he used to be one of the members of the Book of Mormon on stage on Broadway, and now he brings his own his show with his uh, skew of tunes and to uh, the Soho Playhouse. And the Soho right. Playhouse has been, you know, it's it's a um, uh, it's a landmark uh, building. You know, they, uh, I think they're going to be putting on another show there next month after I leave called Tammany Square, which is about uh, Tammany Square and the election. And what people don't know is that bar that you and I were down in after the show, that used to be a speakeasy, and that is where, during the election, Tammany Square, all those, uh, everything went on. So, it's oh, kind of so I was drinking in a speakeasy. a landmark. Okay, give us give us uh, once more how uh, people can find out about what your show, where you're going to be, uh, times and tickets and what have you. Yeah, the best way to, to read about the show would be to go to the website. It's robertduback.com. That's Robert spelled like most most Roberts, all Roberts, as a matter of fact. And then Duback is D-U-B-A-C. Um, the show is called The Book of Moron. I mean, you put either one of those in Google, you'll find it. Um, it'll give you an idea what the show is. I mean, that, we really didn't talk about that, but I, the, sh- the conceit of the show is me. I lost my memory, so I, can't, I don't know what's true and what's not true, so I have to start from scratch. So that's the conceit that is, allows me to question everything because I have no uh, information. It's all been knocked out of my head. So, um, and... That's, and there's, you know, and it, it, it is a play, so there's a beginning, middle, and end. It's not just somebody up there, you know, uh, flapping their gums about what's funny and what's not funny. So there is, there is a message. There is a point. And uh, it's been great, you know, coming to New York and doing it. So uh, have everybody, I hope everybody's listening. We'll check it out, or at least just read about it. Right. What do you have in the pipeline? What's coming up next? Well, like I said, I'm working on, uh, I just finished a new show and just finished, like we were talking about, how difficult it is to memorize. It took me about a year. I memorized it during COVID because I, we couldn't do anything else. So it, that took about a year. And it's called Stand Up Jesus. And it is, it takes the point where let's, let's imagine Jesus does come back. He's 2,000 years old. And in God years, that means he's middle-aged. So he's in his 50s or his 60s. Uh, he's graying, <laughs> graying at the temples. His dad is, he's taking over the family business because dad is, you know, is getting way old. So, uh, and it's basically him saying, you know, you guys have screwed everything up. You, you're you not understanding what I was really talking about. So, is that going to be a Soho also? 
Uh, I don't think so because I'm going to have to leave, but I, uh, you know, there's a possibility of bringing it back or bringing it back to New York, but it, w- it would be fun to try to do it here. Um, it's, uh, it is preaching, but it's preaching with punchlines. So uh, I think that uh, that's uh, able to get away with it. Oh, don't play it in Dothan, Alabama. Oh, no, that's, I want to go to Alabama. I want to go to Mississippi. Oh, really? I think all, all the bad press would be wonderful. You know, when, I mean, I don't know if you remember back when uh, Monty Python did Life of Brian, they had zero uh-huh. publicity and zero advertising. The Catholic Church was so offended, it ended up generating so much publicity for these guys that it became this huge runaway hit. Um, so I figure if I stop in Dothan, Alabama, you know, uh, Charleston, uh, <laughs> Memphis, I, I, I'll go through the Bible Belt first and uh, <laughs> see, see, how, see how hypocritical those evangelicals really are. They are. So, uh, turn, a, turn um, a cheek. All right. We, we have got just about a minute left. Um, sure. Uh, anything you would like to add to what we're discussing? I mean, uh, no, okay. just uh, like I said, I think there's only six performances left. If you anybody, or even if you have friends that, that live in New York, call them up, tell them, come and go to the website, write me a note. And there's certainly, if you go to the website and search around, there's a there's a couple little. If you search enough, you'll find a way to get free tickets. So we free always tickets. let that you out. That, folks, something. free tickets. Yeah, you go. Uh, free tickets. That, you doesn't gotta, do, you gotta search. that doesn't do Robert's pocketbook any good, but you'll enjoy the show. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, it's fine with me. You know, I want everybody to laugh if they can't, you know, look, we've been cooped up for a year, a year and a half. It's time to at least, uh, you know, enjoy ourselves a bit. Okay. Robert, we're, we're uh, running down over here. Our guest this evening has been Robert Bob Duback, and his show at the Soho Theater in Greenwich Village is the Book of Moron. Not, it's got an N at the end, not an M. So, folks, check it out. Thanks for joining us. Robert, thank you, and much success in the future. You bet. Thank you, Bob. Have a good night. Okay, you too. Thanks.